0: This is Damalola. Damalola is the evangelist and pastor at KXC. It's an absolute delight to have her preaching this morning. So be one and you pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would come now. Open our hearts to receive. Would you send your anointing, your authority, and your power upon Damalola right now? to speak over you. We love you, we cover you, and we're hungry to learn from you. And we're privileged and honoured to hear you speak today. So fill her up now, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus and he says, I keep praying, I keep asking that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would fill you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We are here to consider the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but not just to consider him, to encounter him good morning wildfires it's wonderful to be with you and a joy to be here preaching with you and then also a joy to be preaching with mary who will be doing bsl while i speak so we are preaching together shout out to mary shout out to mary Now there's a lot of people here. It would have been my joy to get to know all of you, but that's not quite possible. So I thought that I would kick off with a few bits of information about me just to give you a bit of context for the human that is before you in this moment. So my name is Damilola. I am the first of four children. I'm joined by my wonderful sister at this conference. Um, We are Nigerian. I was born in London, raised in Ireland. So I've just put you out of the misery of trying to work out where my acts centers from. It's a bit of a mixture of all of that. In terms of my educational history and background, I have not one, not two, but three law degrees. Hmm. I have a bachelor's degree in civil law, a master of laws in human rights and criminal justice. And in 2019, I was called to the bar and given the degree of barrister at law. Now, you don't know me, but I want to promise you that I don't drop those details in regular conversation. So I'm not meeting a barista at the coffee shop and saying, by the way, I have three degrees. But whenever it comes up naturally in conversation that I have three degrees, I can see something happening in the minds of the person that is before me. I can see the cogs turning in their brain. And they say to themselves, she's a reasonably intelligent human being. And I must confess, I must confess from time to time, I'm inclined to agree with them that I am a reasonably intelligent human being. But people of God, there are other times. Allow me to share with you in this moment one of those other times. The day is a Saturday. The date is the 2nd of April. The year is 2022. I'm at home in my room, reading my Bible as I do because I'm pious like that. And I receive a phone call. Now on a regular Saturday, I don't take phone calls, but I see that I have a phone call and I miss it. I don't get to it in time. But I'm savvy, right? I don't recognize this number. It's an unknown number. So I Google the number, just to make sure it's not a cold caller or something. I Google the number. And when I Google it, I see that it's the number of one of my banks. One of my banks, you know, like I've got lots of money. One of my banks has rang me. So I'm like, OK, something must be going on. If they ring again, I'll pick it up. Praise the Lord. They ring again, I pick it up, and there's a gentleman on the line, and he's asking me if I've just taken out a direct debit in Bristol. Now, I'm very much in my room in East London, so I have not taken out a direct debit in Bristol. What's going on? So then we go through the recent history on my account, my recent transaction history. And as we go to an earlier point in the week, it becomes clear to me what is going on. You see, I was going about my business, trying to perhaps get to work or get some shopping, whatever it was. And I received a message that said, Royal Mail has tried to deliver your parcel to you. You've not been at home to receive it. So click on this link to um, sort out a re-delivery, right? Now I, I received the message and I'm like, I don't order anything. I know my housemate is at home all day today. But the week before, the week before, someone had sent me something out of the blue, and it was lovely. So I thought, do you know what? Maybe this is my season. Maybe I'm receiving another package out of the blue. So I go on absentmindedly, I click on the link, and then it like is... Proper, legit, royal mail, everything, royal mail, royal mail, royal mail. And then it says, you know, okay, put in your details, and for this, like, nominal fee of £1.45, I'm not swimming in cash money, but I can afford £1.45. For £1.45, you just um pay this money, and you get your re-delivery at this date that suits you. Cool, 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 I put the money through, and then I go about my business, right? So that's at the back of my mind, but at some point, I'm like, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to receive this surprise delivery. So then I'm narrating this, I'm saying this to the person on the phone and he's like, is that regular practice for Royal Mail? Do Royal Mail ask you to pay for re-deliveries? And in that moment, people of God, it's clear to me that I have fallen for a fishing scam. Where were my three degrees? When this message came into my phone, I have fallen for a phishing scam. So in this moment, I am hit by a jolt of panic. I have just opened the door for somebody to wreak havoc on my account. But while I'm experiencing immediate panic, there is also reassurance because of this lovely guy who is on the phone and he's telling me, don't worry, it's okay, this stuff happens all the time. It's not gone on too long, it's not been too late. We've noticed that this was suspicious activity on your account, and we're here to help you with it. Flooded by both panic and relief, that there is somebody with me in the midst of it to walk me through it. So he stays on the line with me, and then we're talking through and not just this account, but the other accounts that I have. He asks me if I have any other accounts. And then we get onto my savings account. Now, again, I don't have a lot of money. But all the money that I do have, all of it, all the money that I have is inside that savings account. So we get to the savings account and he says, you know what, we must make sure that this money is safe. But this other account that you've been using has been compromised, right? So what we need to do we need to close your current account here then we'll open a new account for you what you need to do is transfer money from your savings account to this new account and then we'll be on our way Now, I wonder if there's anyone here who's like, you know done English lit, read any plays. Shakespeare has this device, and he uses it in the play that I studied, Hamlet, to play within the play. Well, people of God, this wasn't quite a play within a play. This was a scam within a scam. So then in that moment, something is telling me this isn't quite making sense. It's like scales fell from my eyes, and the light bulb is flashing danger. Danger, danger. So, I catch myself, I'm called to my senses. It's time for me to pay attention because you know what is worse than having things forcibly taken from you? Do you know what's worse? Do you know what's worse? What's worse is using your own hands to carry all of your treasure and to give it to an enemy. Hmm. So, people have gone. I'm not trying to say that you guys would fall prey to the scam that I fell prey for. I'm sure that with or without degrees, you all would do a lot better than I did in that moment. But you see, this is why we need wisdom and revelation, why? Not just because there are those who engage in fishing scams in the world, but because in our day and in our age, darkness masquerades as light. And so we need revelation from the Spirit of God to understand that which is real and tell it apart from that which is false. And so we will come to the Spirit of God and we will ask him to give us what he gives, which is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you have a Bible here with you, I invite you to raise it up as we come to pray. Don't worry, I will accept phones for this exercise. wildfires, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this Word, the Word of God, is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it is able to penetrate, to pierce between soul and spirit. So Spirit of God, we invite you in this moment to unsheathe this sword. Spirit of God, come and penetrate our hearts. Come and penetrate the darkness that is around us. Spirit of God, come and lead and direct us into what is real and what is true. For we ask this in the precious and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We are going to be exploring the spirit of wisdom and revelation from the book of Daniel. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 8, Daniel chapter 1. And I read... During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. I know there's some young men in here wondering if they would have made the cut, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Verse eight, but Daniel, someone say, but Daniel. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. This is God's word and we thank him for it. If I were to capture for you the context that Daniel and his friends find themselves in in this chapter, it would be across these words. Destruction seduction, total assimilation. Destruction, seduction, total assimilation. Number one, destruction. All that Daniel and his friends have known as home, all that they have taken for granted in the place in which they lived, now lies in tatters. Jerusalem, and in it the temple, the center of their worship, the center of their lives as a community, as the people of God, is in ruins. Destruction. Seduction. It is not only that Babylon has defeated Jerusalem, has destroyed their former way of life. No, Babylon comes and gives them the offer of a new way of life. These are new names to go by. This is a new education, a new reorientation around reality. Babylon is telling them there is another way to live and you can find it here. Here is another kingdom to find your home in. But as we see this unfold, we see that Babylon isn't just trying to get around them. Babylon is trying to get inside them. This is a campaign which has as its end total assimilation. Be subsumed into Babylon. Let us be one and the same. Now I want to suggest to you, people of God, that though we are not captives of Judah, You and I, as we navigate this moment, as we navigate this time of history in the place that God has set us, that we are very much in exile. We may be living in the countries that we have known all our lives. We may be living in the Western system that we have known as home. But if we are citizens of heaven, then we are exiles as we navigate the here and now. When it comes to destruction, we have seen some of the very foundations of this nation when it comes to the Christian faith and what it is to live as a community that is shaped by the good news of who Jesus is. We've seen so much of that crumble. The established church in this land is shaking destruction, seduction, not only have we experienced much change and loss in terms of our standing in culture and in society, we are being given a new vision, a new script, a new way to live. We are being offered a framework, a very different framework for living that is our native one. And as we navigate this new space, this much-changed cultural landscape, we need to consider the dislocation that we live with. What does our heritage in the faith, what does it mean and look like in this new environment? And we have to ask ourselves some serious questions. If we truly desire an awakening, right, for everyone to get to know who Jesus is, then don't we need to make a few adjustments for this moment? We have to work out what is missionally and practically workable. So in this much changed cultural environment where we don't just hold that Jesus is God, but that there are many different gods, where it's common understanding that there are loads of different ways, loads of different paths, you do you when it comes to faith. What does it look like to maintain that Jesus is the only way to God the Father? What does that look like in this moment? Is that not just arrogance? And when it comes to insisting that the people of God be governed by, be shaped by patterns of rest and worship that set them at odds with the world around them, that dethrone the rival gods of accumulation and productivity, what does that mean when you need to get a promotion so that you can continue to live where you live and perhaps put food on the table as we go through a cost of living crisis? Is that not just unrealistic? And how about when it comes to issues of human identity and sexuality? You see, the world has a lot of time for us to engage as the people of God when it comes to food banks and service provision. The world has a lot of time for that. But when it comes to maintaining a distinctive and historic ethic around issues of identity and sexuality, of saying that marriage is between a man and a woman and that the right context for the expression of sexuality is within marriage, there is not a lot of time for that. And we must ask ourselves, is that not just bigotry? And how does that make space for different expressions and experiences and different histories? Is that not just bigotry? Now, these are big questions. And they require discernment. They require deep compassion and perhaps a deeper repentance but make no mistake about it. They are not random. They are not disconnected. They are part of a campaign of total assimilation. Babylon is not just trying to get around you. Babylon is trying to get inside you. And it screams every day in every environment that you and I navigate, Jerusalem has fallen. Babylon reigns. This is the context of Daniel and his friends, and it is the context of you and I today. And yet, verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1 says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Defilement. Hmm. What is that about? Well, see, defilement, it belongs to the laws of the people of Israel. We need to go into their history to understand a bit what is going on here, and we see that God calls out from himself, for himself, out of Egypt. He calls forth a nation, and he tells them, I'm calling you to be my own. I am setting you apart, that I might show myself to you, that I might love you, that I might establish a legacy amongst you. But for this to work, for this to work. You need to know that I am a holy God. You are very much an unholy people. But I desire to make my home amongst you. And so I'm going to give you my law that we might work out a way for these two things to coexist in space and time. That I, a holy God, dwell amongst an unholy people. And so we have the law. And within the law, there are laws around ritual purity and impurity. Things for the people of Israel to be aware of as they host the presence of God in their land. And this revolves around the worship of Israel. When they get into the land, it revolves around the temple, that fixed site of the presence of God that reminds them of who they are. So this makes a lot of sense in the land. It makes a lot of sense in their homeland. What is Daniel doing in the heart of the Babylonian empire, in the heart of paganism with a concept of ritual purity and impurity? That just makes no sense. What meaning can this have in the environment that he finds himself in? And I think the answer is none. Unless, unless we go back and do some history, unless we look back into the story as Daniel would have done. You see, Daniel would have known that before there was a temple, a fixed site of the presence of God, the people of God oriented themselves around. Before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, the presence of God was mobile. It wasn't contained to this one environment or space. The presence of God moved. And before there was a tabernacle, there was a pillar of fire by night and of cloud by day. And the people of God followed the presence of God but by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Daniel knows that it's not just true that the people of God follow the presence of God. It is true that the presence of God follows the people of God. And this should make you happy because when you wake up to go to work on a Monday morning, you should be reminded that the presence of God follows the people of God. And when you send your children to sure what they're going to get taught as you leave them over for the rest of the day. You should know that the presence of God follows the people of God. And as I, as a single woman, try to navigate the madness of dating apps and dating culture in 2022, I hold on to the fact that the presence of God follows the people of God. By the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Daniel knows that the presence of God follows the people of God. And so even in the heart of empire, even in the paganism of Babylon, consecration has meaning. And where the structures of Babylon, where the rhythms of the new life and the new world that he and his friends are living, and where it tells them assimilate or die. Jerusalem has fallen. Babylon reigns assimilate or die. By the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we know that it's not assimilate or die. It's assimilate and die. But be set apart... Be set apart and live, not assimilate or die, but be set apart and live. By the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we know that the ground that we stand on and the territory that we walk in, though it isn't our homeland, that God is doing something with us in the midst of it as we are consecrated to him. But what does consecration mean? What does it mean practically to be set apart? Well, I know what I would like it to mean. I would really like for consecration to mean that I withdraw from the world. And I get to enjoy the joy of my wonderful church community. We get to do our thing, lifting up the name of Jesus, finding these new patterns of rest and worship and prayer, having these rhythms that our lives are governed by, And then the world can do what it wants to do because we are consecrated, we are set apart. And there is certainly a sense in which consecration means distinction. But hear me this isn't distinction this isn't being set apart in order that we might not be contaminated that's not our primary goal no we treasure what it is to be set apart not because we are avoiding contamination but because we desire to be contagious this is why we steward the work of the spirit within us because we want it to affect the environment that we that we are called to. We are consecrated not because we are running from contamination. We are consecrated because it is our heart's desire and the desire of the God who has called us as his own that we might be contagious to the world around us. But what does it look like to foster and steward this as the people of God? Well, I see in the story of Daniel and in his life with his friends, and it's important, I keep talking about Daniel, but it's important to know that he didn't do this as a lone ranger. That it was him and his friends, and there weren't many of them, but they fostered within themselves a community of fidelity to the truths of old that maintained them in the realities of the present. And there are practices that sustain us in our consecration and the call to distinction in the world that we are in. And I see them across these four things in the life of Daniel. What he eats, what he prays, what he sees, and what he says. What he eats, what he prays, what he sees, and what he says. Number one, what he eats. Daniel makes the point in this verse, verse eight, chapter one, not to eat what those around him are eating. And this is a radical, radical move, perhaps not as radical as we might initially be inclined to see it. See, the food that Daniel would have gotten would still have come from the coffers of Babylon. He didn't mean that he had his own allotment that he went to. It still came to him from Babylon. So he's still living on Babylon's dollar. But even if it's not radical in the way that we might initially think it is, I think there's certainly a symbolic significance in this. That Daniel takes a stand and decides that he will not be nurtured and nourished by what is nourishing the world around him. That he will not consume all that is being consumed by the world around him. That there will be something else going on the inside of him. Even if he can't control what is going on around him, he'll take a stand when it comes to what's going inside of him. And we know from the words of Jesus that you and I are not meant to live by bread alone or vegetables alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Daniel takes a stand in the natural to highlight that he is taking a stand where you can't see. Daniel's source is not the source of the Babylonians. There is something else that is going inside of him. He chooses to be nourished by something else. What are you consuming as we inhabit this moment? What are you feasting on? What he eats. Number two, what he prays. Daniel chapter nine. Daniel lifts up this wonderful prayer to God, and it has these three key elements. Number one, he starts with the glory and the grandeur of God. Even amidst the dislocation and the tensions of exile, he still proclaims that God is faithful. He finds a way to lift up the name that is above every other name. He starts with God in praise and adoration. He then moves to confession. And it's not sexy. It's uncomfortable as he lays bare before God the sins of himself and of his people. But in that action, though he lives in a society that is pervaded by darkness, Daniel walks into the light in confession. And then moving on from confession, being sustained by a diet of the Word of God, he speaks forth the promises of God. He said, God, did you not say? And God, don't you care that your glory is attached to these people? Lord, we need you to make good on your promises for the honor of your name. We need people who approach God in prayer and say, God, not just for my comfort. God, not just for my sense of ease. God, for the honor of your name, you need to come through on what you have said. This is what Daniel prays. And it's not just what he prays, it's when he prays. His whole day is oriented around three times of prayer. And yet he's living in the heart of the empire. He has so much to do. But the main business of Daniel's day is not what Nebuchadnezzar has on the docket for the day. It is what he does before the throne of God. That's where the true business of Daniel's life happens. And you might say, do you know what? Like three rhythms of prayer a day or even just like having a set thing around that seems a bit restrictive where people of grace and praise God we are. I'm just in constant communication with God. Like I, I, just, I just talk to him all the time and praise God for that. I'm here for that. I bless you in that. But I want to encourage you that if Daniel needed these rhythms, if he needed the security of these rhythms and touching base with a heavenly reality in order to sustain him in exile, that maybe you and I do too. What he eats, what he prays, what he sees. It is likely here that if you have read the book of Daniel before, that you've had the experience of having a beautiful time from chapters one to six. And then we take a bit of a turn from chapter seven, and it gets a bit scary. There's things flying around. There's language that we don't fully understand because we enter into apocalyptic literature. But see, the purpose of apocalyptic literature is not just to give your five-year-old nightmares. No, the point behind apocalyptic literature is an apocalypse, an unveiling of reality taking us beyond what seems to what is. And this is done by the Spirit of God. You see, in order to navigate the world that you and I live in, we can't just go on what we see. No, we are called to live by what we are shown by the Spirit of God. Daniel lives by revelation. And so in Daniel chapter 7, we see that Daniel's lying on his bed as I had been wished that I had a vision of glory and not been scammed. But Daniel's on his bed and the Lord is showing him things. And what God starts showing him isn't first a delight to his heart. No, the Lord shows him four beasts and he struggles with language he grapples with simile to express what is before him because words can't quite contain what he sees four beasts and babylon is signified in the first and they go in succession babylon falls another kingdom rises that falls another kingdom rises and another kingdom and some of the point of this is to tell him the darkness is darker than you think There are spiritual realities behind the things that you are navigating as you are in Babylon. There are spiritual realities behind the news alerts that you see in the day to day. There are spiritual realities behind everything that we are navigating. And in a sense, the darkness is more than what we can fully make sense of with the naked eye. So Daniel sees this by revelation. There are four beasts and they rise and they fall and they rise and they fall. But amidst this change, amidst this instability, amidst this chaos, Daniel doesn't just see four beasts, he sees one sitting on the throne. What is the ancient of days doing? He is sitting. On the throne. He's not scrambling around for what to do amidst the crises that his people face. He's not scrambling around wondering what's going to happen to the world that he so made, so loved, so sustains. He is not perturbed. He is sitting on a throne. These kingdoms rise and fall. And yes, it may be true in our experience that Jerusalem has fallen and that Babylon reigns, but Jesus has overcome. Somebody say, Jesus has overcome. That is our reality. And that is what Daniel gets to glimpse. That is what he gets to behold by the Spirit. Even though he's very much in the reality of Babylon, he is invited into a new reality. Beyond natural perception, he is seeing by the Spirit. He is seeing in the Spirit. He is understanding his present reality in light of the eternal reality and the one reality that all history is moving towards. the reality of Jesus as Lord. What he eats, what he prays, what he sees, and what he says. Daniel is called to serve in the heart of the empire, to serve in the courts of the king. And yet, we see in the moments when he and his friends engage the powers that be in Babylon. Even though they are held together, they are grounded in this confidence of this reality that doesn't meet the eye that they find their being in. They engage empire not in derision, not in disdain, not in disrespect, but in confident assurance. Confident assurance. They speak words that are given to them given to them, not just from the intellect, not just from their degrees. These are words that are given by the Spirit. How do I know that they are given by the Spirit? See, I can look ahead to one that Daniel only saw glimpses of. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, I am going to leave you and there is going to be difficulty in the reality that you face as you stay in this world and there will be moments when you're hauled in front of the rulers of the synagogue and the rulers of authorities in that land. But don't worry about what to say in those moments because I will send one to you and he will give you the words to say. Daniel's whole reality is shaped by and framed in and held by revelation that comes from the spirit. What he eats, what he prays, what he sees and what he says Daniel gets to engage in his day-to-day with a view on the grand story of God, the heavenly reality that is beyond what meets the eyes, that is beyond appearances. God invites him into this big revelation But this big revelation also settles into the particularity of Daniel's own life and story. Daniel chapter nine, Daniel is again taken up into a vision. He is encountered by the angel Gabriel who comes not to announce that he's gonna get pregnant because that would be a bit weird. But the angel Gabriel comes to tell him this, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Daniel, I am here to tell you what it was, because you are very precious to God. And so as we come and we consider the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him... We can be accustomed to considering knowledge as information. And indeed, that sense is captured in the passage. But there is more than that sense of knowledge within the scriptures, within this story. You see, if you're familiar with any older versions of the Bible, you'd have come across perhaps this rendering of the story of Adam and his wife, that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she brought forth a son, knowledge as information, but also knowledge as communion. Intimate knowledge that reproduces life. If you need details on how this works in the natural, please do feel free to consult my pastors, P and B, before we leave this afternoon. But you see, just as in the natural, intimate knowledge reproduces natural life, So it is in the spirit, that spiritual knowledge, following the spirit into the knowledge of God, reproduces spiritual life on the inside of us. And what is that life? The life of Jesus. What the world needs, what our world needs, what our environment needs is the life of Jesus coming up from the inside of us. The knowledge of God is not just knowledge as information. It's knowledge as communion and intimacy and fellowship with the living God. And this also is revealed to Daniel. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the Lord God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. To which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you know why we need an unmasking of the darkness that surrounds us? Do you know why we need a dethroning of the idols of our age amongst the people of God? It is not just so that we have information. And it's not just so that we can stand in derision over the culture that is around us. It is because we have apprehended a treasure in Jesus. It is because an eternal reality has been made plain to us. And even though it is promised to us, we see it clearly, a rich inheritance. And God is speaking to us today and he is telling us as he told me, don't use your hands to give your treasure away to your enemy. Wake up. Wake up. It is not enough for us to look and live by seeing what seems. We need to see what is by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reality from God's perspective. Who today wants to An inheritance a precious inheritance a precious treasure in Jesus a hope that we look towards and that we move towards and that hope is secure in Jesus but what about the here and now You see, it's all well and good to know that there is a treasure at some point in the future, but how does that help me in the day to day? That treasure can feel so far away, but by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that treasure, though we don't get the fullness of it now, though there is attention to the now and the not yet, something of that treasure Enters into my day-to-day. By the spirit of wisdom and revelation, I get a foretaste of that which is my inheritance. By the spirit of wisdom and revelation, heaven comes to earth. i love to invite you to stand as we come to respond to God's word. God is reminding us that we have a treasure in Jesus. And this treasure governs our reality. But we live in a day and we live in a time where deception is trying to get us to just pay one pound 45 to actually lose this treasure. But praise God, we have not been left as orphans. The Spirit of God comes today to unmask the lies and the deception and the schemes of darkness that we might hold on to our treasure with both hands. So Holy Spirit, come. Come. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, we invite you to manifest eternal realities to us right now. Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit Holy Spirit.